all of you for uh, allowing me to preach here tonight. It's a real blessing. It's, uh, it's always a blessing to be able to come home from college and uh, just finish my freshman year. And I've really learned a lot there at college, you know, even just simple stuff growing up and living on my own, washing my own clothes and brushing my own teeth and all those good things. <laughs> but through the classes and the different uh, stresses you go through at school, Lord's really been able to teach me a lot of things just about him and just how to have a walk with God. And it's really been a blessing. Well, tonight I'd like to take a look at the life of Jacob. And as we, uh, I think we can, if we really work together here, I think we can really learn something that uh, will help us live for God tomorrow. I mean, we can talk about and philosophize about different things in the Bible and different spiritual philosophies. But if it doesn't help us live for God tomorrow, then it's really pretty much worthless. And this is really something that the Lord taught me this semester and uh, through some different homework and stuff, actually. But uh, I will. the only thing is I wish I was a whole lot better at doing it. But uh, fortunately, that's not the case. And I don't think any of us are. And if we were, then uh, probably wouldn't need this sermon at all. But uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 34, 30. See if I can get there. Genesis chapter 25 and starting in verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And this was just one of the simple stories. We're going to look at some different highlights of Jacob's life. But as we go through Jacob's life, Jacob, we find that Jacob was always trying to control and have a handle on his own life. He wanted to control his own path of life, and he tried to arrange and organize circumstances to get his own will. In this circumstance, they were twins, right? And Esau was the older brother. He had the birthright. In our day, I'm the middle child. I'm number six. My brother Peter's the oldest, but in the modern day, it really doesn't carry that much weight. You know, my father thankfully loves all of his children equally, not just his oldest son, which I'm truly grateful being the middle child be a little bit rough. But in those days... Being the first child carried a lot of weight and a lot of blessings, a double inheritance. Some would say that this um, right of the firstborn was also a spiritual right, and that allowed him to have spiritual leadership in the home. In any case, it's not all completely clear what this would have carried, but it was something that was very desirable to Jacob because he wanted this, and he was willing to arrange circumstances and to even cheat his brother Esau out of this birthright. And as in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, the Bible speaks that Esau was a profane person and he despised his birthright and he really didn't care. He just wanted some beans because he was hungry and he'd been hunting and he's pretty much a loser at hunting at this point because he didn't get anything, a lot like myself. And he was very hungry at the time. And those beans looked a whole lot better to him than his birthright. And he sold it. And Jacob was willing to buy that from him and scheme in order to get that. And later, in chapter 27, we find that Jacob is once more scheming again. Now, this was not just his own 
um, scheming and conspiring, but a lot of this was of his mother, Rebecca, who wanted to get the blessing for her favorite son, Jacob. And in Genesis chapter 27, verse 1, we're going to read this story here. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons and thy quiver, or weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison and make me savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now Rebekah and Rebekah went and Rebekah heard when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I have heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord, before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, according to which I have commanded thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat. For thy father, such as he loveth, and thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, preadventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son, only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat. Such as his father loved. Now, this is once more a blessing that rightfully belonged to Esau. And this blessing, as um, Isaac will later end up giving to Jacob, was a blessing of prosperity and money and a good life and a blessing from God. But Rebekah wanted this blessing for her son, Jacob. Now, both Esau and Jacob were her sons, but for some reason, which was not completely clarified, she loved Jacob more than Esau. And she wanted to get this blessing for Jacob. And this was not necessarily of his own conspiring and his own planning, but he was willing to go along with this to cheat once more to get the blessing for himself that did not belong to him. As we look through this pattern of Jacob's life, he is creating a pattern for himself in different instances that are crucial to his life, where he is cheating, where he is planning, arranging circumstances to get his own will and his own way. And we find that very true in our own lives sometimes. We are willing to plan and to think ahead and how we can arrange different circumstances so we can work this out perfectly, so we can have what we want. And that's not exactly, it's not a biblical thing. That's not a Christ-like attribute. And I'm going to get a little more water right here. So pardon me. But as he's continued to make this pattern, and he tricks his father. He goes and he gets the kids from the flock, and his mother cooks them up to taste like savory meat. And she must have been pretty good at this, because apparently either her father, his father was that old that he could no longer taste the difference between savory meat from the field and goats from the flock, or Miss Rebecca was just a pretty awesome cook. We don't exactly know. Either was one of the case. And then he dresses up in his brother's clothes, and he gets the uh, skins, and he puts them on his ha- arms and his hands and the back of his neck. I mean, this Esau dude was apparently a pretty hairy dude if he was as hairy as a goat, which is kind of an interesting picture, but we'll not stay there too long. And he agrees to this conspiracy, and he tricks his father, and he gets the blessing. 
And just as he's sneaking out of there with the blessing, in comes the gold hairy Esau. He's like, Father, I've made you this savory meat. Come and bless me. Isaac says, is this really my son Esau? He's like, yeah, Dad, it's me. Well, your brother just got the blessing. I don't know about you, but when you come in to get that wonderful prize your dad had for you and you find out your other brother already got all of it, that's not a really happy day. That's time for rage and anguish of heart. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. Esau, who was this profane man and really didn't care about life, but he wanted this blessing. And when he finds that his younger brother Jacob had stolen this from him just before he got there, he flies into a rage. And he's out of control. He wants to kill his brother and says in uh, verse 41, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And Esau was very capable of doing this. He, may, he was a hunter. He was a man of the field. And he wanted to kill his brother because he had stolen what was rightfully his. And then Jacob, hearing about this, his mother convinces him to run away to uh, Padanaram. And part of this, his mother wants him to get married to a uh, godly woman and not marry of the Canaanites. And so she sends him away to Padanaram. And Jacob, who thinks he's, he's got the birth right now, he's got the blessing too, but it's not going to do him any good right now because he's got to sneak and run for his life. And in Genesis chapter 28, we're going to look there in verse 11. Genesis chapter verse, uh, 28 and verse 11. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set upon the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father. And the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in the place, all the places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into the land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of, I have spoken to thee of. And here God makes a promise to Jacob. He promises that he will always be with him. And when God makes a promise, that's something we can always count on and we can always trust. But Jacob doesn't necessarily look at it that way. And this is in the land, this is actually in Bethel, in the the land of Luz, which uh, Jacob renames Bethel, or the place or house of God. And he doesn't look at this as God promising to be with him and to always be with him. And to give him the land. God renews that Abrahamic covenant with him. But instead of Jacob taking God at his word, he says, you know what, God, I've even seen a vision of you up in heaven. And you've promised to keep your word with me. You know, that that really isn't good enough for me because what have you proved to me? He still has this scheming and conspiring attitude. And he makes a deal with God. He says, if you'll bring me back, I'm running right now. And you said you're always going to be with me, but if you bring me back to the place, to my home, and give me... Let's, let's just read this. In uh, 
Verse 18, And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, for the name of the city was Luzit the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So Jacob says to God, If you fulfill this promise, instead of trusting God and surrendering to God like he should, he says, when you fulfill this promise, when you've put up your end of the bargain, then you can be my God and I'll serve you. That's not the way it ought to work. God should be taken at his word. And so Jacob continues on his way, and he gets all the way to Laban's house, and he meets up with Rachel and falls in love with her in uh, chapter 29. And the story continues as he falls in love with Rachel, and he agrees with Laban to work seven years for her. And he works seven years with the flocks. And throughout that whole time, he's working for Laban. It's hard work, but it seemed to him as just a few days. And then he starts to reap a little of those scheming that he got when he, that he, of the scheming which he did when he was younger. And as he works those seven years, and then at the end of those seven years, it's time for the marriage ceremony. It's a big party. He's worked seven years for this girl that he's totally in love with. And then at the end, he gets Leah. Now it says that she's tender-eyed. We're not exactly, as I said before, some of the biblical terms we're not exactly certain of. It says she was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful. So that's sort of drawing a contrast that Rachel was beautiful and Leah was the opposite. So the opposite of beautiful is ugly. That's kind of the way it says. And Leah's ugly. And now he's got Leah and he's married and it's too late for nothing. He's married to ugly Leah. And what's he going to do? And he's furious at Laban. Laban, you've tricked me. What in the world? I didn't want Leah. I wanted Rachel. And so Laban, he's got him. He's got him over the barrel. It's like, you know, hey, I still have Rachel. She's still here waiting for you. Just another seven years. So he gets married and finishes the whole party. And then, as far as we can tell from the chronology, that as soon as the party's over with Rachel, or Leah rather, then he has the marriage ceremony with Rachel. And now he's got two wives. And keeping one wife happy is hard enough. I don't know from personal experience. I'm quite single myself. (laughs) But now he's got to keep two wives happy that happen to be sisters. And I do have a little experience with sisters since I have six of them myself. And sisters are not always happy with each other, especially when they're fighting over the same man as in this situation. It's really not a good idea. And and, and the, the consequences of... Jacob having two wives, like, the Bible spent several chapters just telling you all about this mess that he's in. And Rachel's jealous of of Jacob, and Leah's jealous of Rachel, and it goes back and forth, and Jacob's just losing his hair. Like, it's all gone. All because of these consequences, or because he's tricked. If you're going to trick others, when it comes, when you're going to dish it out, when it comes time to take it, it isn't quite as fun. But this happens in Jacob's life. And he's there, and then, you know, he's works this other seven years off, and he's like, let me go. I want to go. I want to get out of here. 
And Laban says, no, man, God's blessing me because of you. Because God was keeping up his end of this bargain that Jacob made with him. And God was blessing Laban too. And Laban says, no, I need you to stay because God's blessing you because of me. And so he works this whole thing out. And he's going to get the ring straked and the speckled and the grizzled cattle. So he says, Laban, all right, tell you what. I'm going to work for you. And all the ugly stuff that you don't want, I'll take that. And you can have the rest of the cattle. And I'm going to take care of everything. And he was in charge of all of Laban's cattle. And so Laban says, hey, I wish it was as you said. And so that's what they work out. But Jacob, as we said, he had this pattern of scheming and working things out. And here it comes out again in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 30. I know we got a, I'm reading a lot of scripture, but the Bible just tells the story so beautifully that in my own words and paraphrasing, it's just very difficult to. Um... Oh, that's not the right reference. And um, sorry about that. Let's see, where is it? Oh, uh, pardon me, in Genesis chapter 31, rather, in verse 27. And it talks about the, uh, er, 20, uh, 37, rather, pardon me. Well, anyways, let's see if we can find this here. 38? Thanks, Dad. This twenty years have I been with thee, thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten, which was torn of thee, torn of beasts, and I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, neither was stolen any day. And, and thus was I, cons- was I in the day, the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house, and I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. And ten times his wages were changed because, as we're going to go back in the story a little bit, Jacob, as he was taking care of the flocks, I've done a little bit of research about this in one of the classes I had this semester, and we're not exactly sure quite how all this would work out, but Jacob would take these rods of different trees, and he would cut them till the green was showing. And then he would lay them in the troughs of the cattle as they were drinking. And apparently... The cattle looking on the rods with their eyes while they were drinking would cause them to conceive strong and good cattle. And he was using it, the Bible tells us, that he was using all these different processes to try to work it out so that every time the cattle brought forth every year, whatever Laban said his wages were going to be that year, that's what he would get. So if Laban said, all right, tell you what, this year you can have all the grizzled and all the speckled, and that year... Every last little calf that came out, and all the goats, and all the lambs, and all the ewes, and every last little animal they had, they were all speckled, and grizzled, and ring-straked. And so, there's no profit for Laban that year, it all goes to Jacob. So the next year, he says, we're going to change this up a little bit, we're going to flip the coin a little bit, we're going to go heads. So, I'll take all the ring-straked and speckled, and you can have the other stuff. And so, Jacob, he, he's like, alright, I got this, he changed out his little rods, and he puts them in the different ways... So that apparently this would make the cattle bring forth the way he wanted to. And it worked. And he gets all the cattle. And eventually, Jacob has more cattle than Laban had in the first place. 
and he has this massive hurts, and Laban's not really that happy about it. But Jacob was doing all this scheming, all this conspiring, and arranging the events. He was working really hard at this, trimming all those rods and arranging everything to make it work out for his plans. Really wasn't that easy. But in the end, who has the dominion over the conception? That's all in the hands of God. It's not anything that Jacob could manufacture or think he could. Because even with modern-day technology and we have our little Petri dishes and all our different engineering, we think we can create life, but we still can't. It's all still in the hands of God, even as it was that day. And God still blessed Jacob, even though he was scheming. And as he was scheming and working towards this and trying to control his life, and he thought he was, but he really wasn't, because God is still in control. And then in Genesis chapter 31, in verse 10 and 13, And Jacob is talking to his wives, and he says, And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived, that I lifted up mine eyes, and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ringstraked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leaped upon the cattle are ringstraked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am God of Bethel. Where thou anointest a pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me, now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. And God tells him to do this, and Jacob says, is telling this to his wives, and his wives agree with him, and say, hey, our dad's just sold us as pieces of property. He doesn't care for us anymore. He's devoured all our living. Let's go. So Jacob gets his plans together, and he's going to figure it out this way, and he's going to figure it out that way. And he's got all his special ops drawing up plans of battle to escape from his father-in-law. I mean, we talk about mother-in-laws. Jacob had a father-in-law. I'm not sure how that would work out either. And he escapes. And three days later, it's told Laban, Jacob's gone with all his stuff. And Laban takes out. He arms his men. This was not a, wait, you didn't say goodbye. I just wanted to give you a hug. This was Laban's opportunity to have a wrong against him from Jacob and have a reason to kill Jacob and take everything back. That's what he was after. This was not a happy farewell journey. And Jacob thinks he's got everything planned out so he can get away and do what God tells him to do, which God told him to leave. doesn't necessarily say he told him to run away as that. And as he's running away, he's got three days start and Laban still catches up. As Laban's one day away, in uh, verse 24, And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Then Laban overtook Jacob. And now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. If it were not for the intervening hand of God in this story, it would have been over. Jacob was running. Laban's coming. He caught up with him. He was going to take care of business. But because even though Jacob had all his plans that he was organizing, it was still God who protected him. And God protected him from that. And then, you know, Laban is angry and he's searching, even though he's still going to do what God had told him to do and not hurt him. He's searching for his gods and Rachel had stolen them. And Rachel hides and lies, but God hides the gods and lies to Laban. But God still protects them even through their lies. 
and even through all of their plans. And Laban goes back and they build this heap. And they say, I'm not going to cross over this to do you harm and you're not going to cross over this to do me harm. It's really a sad thing when the relatives get together and you say, you know what, we can't even talk to each other anymore, but we're not going to hurt each other. It's a very sad story, but it's a result of what happens when people trick and cheat each other. And as he's going back now, he sends his messengers, because he still remembers. He's still got in his head. Jacob is still thinking way ahead, just like a chess player. He's thinking five and six moves ahead. If he just follow God, it'd be different. Remembers his brother. When I left, my brother was still really angry. So you know what I'm going to do? I got this worked out. My brother's a pretty simple guy. He likes his stuff, and he likes it nice. I'm going to send him a lot. I got a lot of stuff here. I don't need all this. It's not worth my life, that's for sure. So he sends his messenger with gifts. Go pacify my brother. You be really nice to him. And they go back to him, and they give him all these gifts, and they come back to Jacob running. Esau's coming with 400 men. Once again, this was not a happy party. So good to see you home. The intent that we find, that at least that the messengers understood, was that Esau was coming to fulfill his promise that he'd made, that he was going to kill Jacob. Now Jacob's in real trouble, in his mind. All these plans he's worked out aren't going to work, so he starts sending gifts. Every day that Esau gets closer to Jacob, a whole other herd of sheep and cattle and goats, and all these different things. In those days, the cattle and the goats were worth a lot of money. And so every day that he gets closer, another gift from Jacob. Camps for the night, got all these cattle everywhere. Gets up next day, get about halfway into the day, another herd comes and meets him. Gifts from your brother Jacob. Jacob loves you. Don't hurt Jacob. That's what's going on here. And then finally he has to divide himself into two groups so that in case Esau comes up with him and he kills one, the other one's going to get away. And in verse 9, let's see, where are we? Chapter 32 and verse 9. Chapter 32 and verse 9. Jacob finally decides to pray. He realizes that he can do whatever he's going to do, but God is actually still in charge. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return to thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal with thee, deal well with thee, rather. I am not worthy of the least of all, that, all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant for my staff. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night and took of which came to his hand a present for, his brother Esau, for Esau, his brother. And he sends another present. He continues with all these presents. And as he's finally praying to God, and in verse 24, and Jacob, he sends off his family. In verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hath thou power with God, and with men it hath prevailed. 
And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask me my name? And he said, And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. As we find this story, this man that Jacob wrestled with all night was what we call a theophany, or an appearance of God in the Old Testament. And Jacob was wrestling with God, because God wanted control of Jacob's life, but Jacob still wanted that control. He wanted God to bless him. He didn't want to give up control. But God first had to touch the hollow of his thigh and control his life before he could bless him. We can't receive the blessings of God in our life unless we're surrendered to God. And that's what we find here. And as he finally surrenders to God, and that hollow of his thigh is touched, and he's limping. For the rest of his life, it says, he would halt upon his thigh. Every day that he got up, we have our all, us humans, we all have our own struggles and joint problems. And I'm only 18, but you go and play basketball and you get back and you're still sore and you feel really old. But I'm not sure what that's going to feel like by the time I get to 50, but we'll find out, I'm hopefully. I live that long. But every day that he would get up, that would remind him that God had humbled him and that he had surrendered to God. And he would halt upon that thigh. And then the next day he gets up and he meets Esau. This could be the end of Jacob. But as most of you know the story, get to the end, and Esau's like, yo, bro, so good to see you. I brought all my friends to come out and see my brother Jacob and all as well. It's like, what happened? We don't know whether or not Jacob's, Esau's original intentions were to actually kill them. I personally, I believe that Jake, Esau's original intentions, he did come out to kill him, but that God changed his mind because God has the power to do that. And everything's fine with Esau. And Esau says, come with me to Mount Seir. And Jacob's supposed to be going to Bethel. He says, yeah, I'll come with you to Mount Seir. Just give me some time because i got all these cattle and the little children. I don't want them to hurt. So, you know, to be driven too fast. And then as soon as Esau leaves, he takes off for Succoth. This is not where God wanted him to go. And he buys some property there. And then later he moves on to Shechem and he sets up booths. And he starts selling his cattle. But when he was out of God's will, he had just surrendered to God. He had just come to this focal point and this massive struggle in his life. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to Succoth because I'm still scared of Esau. And you know what happens in Shechem? There's havoc brought in his family's life. And Dinah, so you guys know the story for the sake of the little children. I won't uh, read through all of that. You can read it when you're home, but terrible things happen to Dinah. And then Levi and Simeon destroy all the city of Shechem. And a lot of people died. And a lot of people were hurting because he was out of the will of God. And you think... He just surrendered to God. What happened? Now all of a sudden he's doing his own thing. And then finally, in Genesis 35, he finally gets back to Bethel. Bethel. Genesis 35 and verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. 
And let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. Jacob finally, he gets to Bethel, where God told him to in the first place, and they get rid of all the false gods, and they start serving God. But unfortunately, that wasn't the end. He didn't, at this point, we don't find any more incredible until later, if we're going to find just a little bit. Got to hurry, because I'm about running out of time. Jacob surrenders to God once more. He gets back on the right track. He finally gets rid all the strange gods were here up to this point. He finally gets rid of all these strange gods, and they start worshiping God as a family. And then later, we, find, we, we have the story in Jacob's life, probably one of, the, one of the later things and last things in Jacob's life. We have the story of Joseph, and he had this favorite son. And when we find he loves his son, you think he would have learned from his parents and about how his mom and his dad were not fair and equal with their love, and how he would have learned about that. But instead, he loved Joseph because that was the oldest son of his favorite wife and the son of his old age. And he loved Joseph more. But his other brothers hated him because of that. And they sold him into slavery. It's a terrible thing. They sold his brother, their brother, into slavery to never come back. They didn't really have a whole lot of conscience about it. And Jacob says he's going to go down to the grave mourning for his son. And he thinks he's never going to see him again. But then we have, there's a Joseph. God takes care of Joseph in Egypt and works that out. That's a whole list of sermons that we don't have time for tonight. But God takes care of Joseph and puts him in charge in the right place to save much people alive. It's in uh, Genesis chapter 50. And they're running out of corn because of the famine. It's the famine that God put in place. And they're, they're running out of food and they don't have what they need. So Jacob sends his sons, go get me some food from Egypt. They go down to Egypt. They get some food. But Joseph is there. And he holds Simeon back and restrains him puts him in jail, and they go back and says, unless Benjamin comes to prove that we're true, then we're not going to be able to get any corn. And Jacob is totally furious. That's the last son of Rachel. He's the son of my young age. You've already, Joseph's already gone. I won't get rid of, let Benjamin go. But it comes down. There's no food. It's the only option. And in uh, chapter 43, in verse 13, if you turn with me there. Chapter 43 and verse 13. Take also your brother and arise, go again unto the man, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. It's another focal point of Jacob's life. He gives up again. Once more, he surrenders. And these are three points in his life where he surrenders. And because he surrenders and just does what has to be done, God works it out, he gets to see Jacob alive, Joseph alive again. He gets to see his son. And God takes care of them and provides for them. And then later, and, um, in Genesis chapter 47, verses 8 and 10, I'll read those very quickly. Uh, jo- Joseph presents Jacob before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained into the days of the years of the life of my fathers, in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. What a terrible testimony. Jacob was God's representative in the world. 
And when Pharaoh asked him, this was his chance for the most powerful man in the world to tell him about the God who he had surrendered to and who took care of him and provided for him. He said, few and evil have been my days and they weren't as good as my dad and his dad. It's a terrible testimony because he didn't surrender to God. Now, he surrendered at certain points, but he didn't surrender daily. Jacob was always trying to control his life, but God finally brought him to a point of surrender when he was threatened by Esau. But he did not stay surrendered. And he brought destruction into the life of his family when he went to Succoth. Later, he surrendered and let Benjamin go to Egypt, and he got to see Joseph alive. The same is still true in our life today. When we surrender to God, and he has control over his life, he can use us, and he's a lot better at planning their lives than we are. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. God cannot use us if we try to control our own lives. And we must stay surrendered to God. We can come to great points of struggle where our very life is in danger, our entire livelihood. And these great points of life, and we'll surrender. And we'll say, God, I can't do this. I need your help. And then the very next day, once the danger passed, we're running for Succoth. And it's a terrible place to be. I know, like, you go to youth camp. I know I used to go to youth camp, you go to conferences, and get all excited about serving God. And you think life is going to be great, and you get back, and you're doing the same things you did that you promised God that you wouldn't do. Because you wouldn't be surrendered to God. Surrendering is important. Without proper surrender to the master, that instrument of the master is totally worthless. James uses the illustration of the horse and bit. When you're riding a horse, the bit is what allows the rider to control the horse. And if the horse is not controlled by the bit, if the horse takes that bit in his teeth and runs, the rider can get killed and can get thrown, and the horse is absolutely worthless to the master because he doesn't go where the master wants him to go. Thankfully, God is not going to get thrown and killed by us if we try to take the bit in our mouth. That's not what's going to happen. But we can't be used of God if we have the bit in our teeth. We need to, and what's the secret to this being surrendered? Because we can be surrendered at one point, and the very next moment, we're not surrendered. That's because our flesh is deceitful, and our flesh is always fighting for control. We need to be daily crucified with Christ. Every day, we have to surrender our wills and our desires and to be crucified with Christ. Because when our flesh dies with Christ, then our flesh isn't alive to bother us anymore. And that happens to happen daily, multiple times per day, or our flesh will win the battle. Jacob surrendered, but then he didn't always finish. That's because he wasn't daily surrendered. And we need to be daily at the foot of the cross. That same surrender that it took us to get saved, we had to surrender our own ability to get to heaven and to control our own lives. And through faith in Jesus Christ, God was able to save us. And it's that same faith that if we live by, we can have a life that will be honoring and glorifying to Jesus, just as our theme is the just shall live by his faith. God is real. He has saved us from eternal damnation. 
But unless we surrender to him, we, he cannot use us according to his plans because our plans get in the way of his. The very things that we are afraid of, that we're trying to control, trying to arrange to get our own way, make our life better, if we'll just give it to God, he'd take care of them because God is great. God, cannot, God wants to use us today. God needs people who are willing to serve him. And he wants to use us. But we can't use, he cannot use us unless we daily surrender. Daily. Every day when we get up in the morning, we need to surrender to God. So we daily surrender to his will and to his plan. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you tonight. I thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done in my life. I pray, Lord, that I would constantly be surrendered to you, Lord that uh, the people in this congregation can understand what I'm speaking of, Lord. We would all surrender to you, Lord. That we could serve you. We thank you for who you are. In your prayer. Amen.